Breathe on me, Breath of God is on page 80 in your hymn book. Glad you're here tonight, everyone. Glad you're here online as well. Again, these are hymns that we're praying through and asking the Lord to, to lead, to guide, recognizing the truths we sing, and may he breathe on us tonight his truth and his love. Breathe on me, breath of God, fill me with life anew, that I may love what Thou dost love, and do what Thou wouldst do. Breathe on me, breath of God, until my heart is pure, until my will is one with thine to do and to endure. Breathe on me, breath of God, till I in prayer. Father, we thank you for the truth that you have given us, your spirit. In the giving of your spirit, you have empowered us to do that which you have asked us to do, to glorify you, to be obedient to your commandments, to love you, to love one another. We could not do any of that apart from your spirit in us apart from the new life that we have in Christ. And Father, we know that we cannot be your witnesses until we depend solely upon the Holy Spirit in our lives. Even as you told the disciples to wait in Jerusalem until the Spirit would come upon them, and after the Spirit would come upon them, they would receive power to be witnesses for you. The same is true for us today as we would depend upon the spirit that you have put within each one of us as believers to be a witness for you and help us to be faithful in that witness. Help us to be faithful in our testimony. Help us to be that light and salt that you would have us to be. Help us to love others, to have a concern for the lost around us. It's so easy, Father, to just have contempt because of their sin. And certainly we hate the sin, and yet, Father, you have told us to involve ourselves in the lives of those around us so that we might be a witness and a testimony to them, even as Christ was involved in the lives of sinners. 
He was condemned for it by the Pharisees and their self-righteousness. But he was involved with sinners because they are the ones who needed him. May we recognize that those around us are in need of Christ, they're in need of hearing the gospel, and they need to hear it from us. Thank you for the privilege of being your witnesses. Thank you, Father, for each one who's here tonight and for the opportunity we have to come together and to study your word and to grow in our knowledge of you and our knowledge of truth. But, Father, we certainly don't want to just have knowledge as the end goal, but may that knowledge and that truth truly impact our lives, affect how we live, how we think, how we conduct ourselves, how we interact with others. Pray, Father, that we would grow to love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, that we'd grow in our love for our neighbor. We thank you for the teens that are meeting tonight. Thank you for each one of them. Thank you for the needs represented in each of their lives. And Father, you know the need. You know right tonight what each one needs to hear from your word and its truths, and I pray that they would hear, that they would apply it to their lives as well. Draw them closer to yourself. Draw them to yourself for those who do not know Christ as their Savior. Father, our Kids for Truth Club just has another couple, two or three weeks before they are concluded for the summer. And I just pray that you would encourage the teachers in these last couple of weeks. And I pray that there would be some who would recognize their need of Christ, even at that young age, over these next few weeks. Pray for the Pinewood Derby that is planned for April 1st and We pray, Father, that each of the kids would have an enjoyable time, that the parents would come and support their children, and that the parents would recognize, too, that uh, we as a church are concerned for their children, concerned for them, and just pray, Father, that you'd use this and open up doors so that we might minister into the lives of families. We pray, Father, for the opportunity that we have tonight to bring our request to you. Thank you for the privilege of prayer. I'd ask, Father, that as we bring our request to you, we do so in faith, that we do so with the assurance that you hear us, that we do so willing to hear your answer, willing, Father, to accept your will, and willing to simply adjust our desires to your desires knowing that what you will is what's best. May you be glorified in and through us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. We continue in prayer this evening. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for who you are. May we come humbly before you tonight. And we say humbly, Lord, because you are a sovereign God. You are the all-powerful God, the all-knowing God. You are also a holy God, a just God. And you are a loving God, Lord. And in your holiness, you cannot look at sin. And help us to realize that there is punishment for sin. Pray that we would understand that that punishment is death. But also that you're a loving God, that you sent your son to die on a cross and rise again to pay the price for our sin. And to put your righteousness on us and our sin on the cross, Lord. And it's 
way beyond our understanding, Lord, but we swear so thankful for that, that you do love us. So we thank you for that. We thank you that we're able to meet together tonight to pray, to learn more of your word, and to worship together. And we do pray for the young people who are meeting downstairs. We pray that you'd be with the leaders and that maybe a soul might be saved tonight. At least you'd, you'd soften the hearts there that need to be softened and touch those hearts. We pray for the kids for truth in the back. You don't know how many young kids can understand the truth, Lord, just by hearing, hearing the one leader say the right word and with you working in their hearts. They could be saved, so we pray for them. Lord, we pray, we thank you for the pastors we have at this church. We thank you so much that they stand on the truth and they teach the truth. Lord, we pray for their protection, pray for their health, for them and their families. We pray for the protection from the fiery darts of Satan that would certainly love to see one of them fail, Lord, but with your protection, they will stand on the truth. And with our prayers, so we pray for them, pray for their strength. We thank you for this church that over the years has stood for truth. We pray for those who in our church are going through trials. Lord, many trials are very tough, and we, we pray for those who are going through that, that you would fill their hearts with your peace, with your love, that they know that you promised to be with us, to never forsake us. You know, we also pray for our different ministries that we have in a church. We pray for the leaders of those ministries. We pray that through those ministries, the seed would be planted and you would reap the harvest. Uh, we pray, especially now for the outreach that we have at our church. Uh, we prayed uh, last month for the police in the area. We continue to pray for them. We pray for those in the courthouse those who are Christians there that may be a, a great testimony, those that aren't Christians, we pray for their salvation. We pray for those in the government positions and leadership positions to make decisions that are right, that are good, and not self-interest. Lord, we pray for peace in the Ukraine. We pray for the Christians there, the persecuted Christians around the world and their faith. And we pray again that our faith would be strong, we, we would be willing to suffer for you. Lord, we need to stand on the truth and let people around us know that and help us to be the light in, that, in the darkness of this world, that we'd be the testimony, that we wouldn't pass up opportunities that you put before us. If too often, Lord, we use the excuse of being shy or being whatever the excuse may be to pass up the opportunity, and sometimes we don't see it until it's already passed us. And we say, oh, we should have said that. But give us clarity of mind that we would see those opportunities and we would present the witness to you and build a relationship with those around us. We also pray for those who are shut-ins, Lord. There, Many times we, under, we don't, don't understand or we don't see maybe where they're making a difference, but you have them there for your purpose and your plan because you have a plan for each of us. And you have a plan to prosper us, not to harm us. And that plan gives us that hope and a future. We pray uh, for those in the military, Lord, who are protecting our freedoms. We just pray that you would keep them safe and that many there who know you as the, their Savior would be a witness to those around them. We pray for the families who 
are at home when their loved ones are sacrificing their time and their lives for us. So we pray for them, give them peace, Lord. And as you say, help us to be anxious for nothing but to turn it all over to you. So we thank you now for tonight. We pray that you'd be with the pastor as he brings forth the message, Lord, that we would accept it with open hearts and open minds, that we would apply it to our hearts, that we would live and others would see you shining through our, our lives and what we say and do. Pray us these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Father, we, we continue now in prayer. We just want to thank you again for this time that we can be here. Uh, thank you that we can meet here in person. Thank you that we, we have this midweek Bible study and prayer time where we can just step out of the busyness for an hour and, and be able to fellowship with those of like faith and come to you in prayer make our requests known and know that uh, it's your will that we do this. Father, when we think of who you are and uh, as the creator and how vast uh, you know, the universe is, and the scientists are finding out more and more every day uh, the complexity of it and the vastness of it. And Father, we know that you you spoke this all into existence. When they study it, they, you know, there's, they don't see chaos. That everything's in order. And uh, we know that you are the one that holds it all together. In the vastness of it, still here we are uh, in this small planet, in this one of the smaller galaxies. And you care about us. You know every one of us as individuals. You have a plan for every one of us in our lives. And Father, when we realize the, the one who holds us, uh, the security that that can give us. And Father, we just want to thank you that we know that you do care about us. We know that you have a plan for our lives. We know that there's a purpose for us to be here. Father, we realize that whatever you call us to do, that you've promised that you will enable us. And that's what Don was talking about earlier when he said about us having that Holy Spirit, that you've given us the power to do what you've called us to do. And it's that power, in that power, that we need to, to have that witness that you've, you've commanded us to do be the salt and the light in the world around us. Father, I just ask that you will help us to have that boldness to share your word with those that we come in contact with, to tell them the truth, but we need to tell it in love. We need to have the truth and grace because uh, uh, in 1 Corinthians 13, it, it says that it doesn't matter what you do if you don't have love. You're just wasting your time and you're nothing but a lot of noise. So Father, we just pray that you will help us realize that, that when we share the gospel with those around us, that we, we give them the truth. We don't need to defend your word. It's able to stand on its own. 
but uh, we need to do it in love. So, Father, I just thank you for the folks that are here tonight. Thank you for Don. Thank you that he's feeling good, that his back isn't uh, bothering him to the point where he, he can't make it in here. And we thank you for that answer to prayer as we've prayed for him for, you know, for the last month that you would help him with that back pain. We thank you he's able to be here, stand in front of us, bring the Bible study on Ezekiel. Father, I just help, help us to all have the proper attitude and, and heart to uh, take in the word that you've laid on his heart that we can apply it to our own lives and uh, help us to use that word to, to make us uh, more like Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. We're in Ezekiel 22 tonight. In chapter 20, God, through Ezekiel, rehearsed the history of Israel as it related to their idolatry, particularly, beginning in Egypt, and they carried their idolatry right into the wilderness, and then right into the promised land, which was Canaan, and then right up to the time of Ezekiel's day, and he rehearsed that history of idolatry uh, through Israel. And then the last part of chapter 20 and then through chapter 21, he gives us four examples of judgment. That is, uh, he uses the picture of fire as judgment and then a drawn sword indicating the imminency of judgment. The sword has already been drawn. And then the sharpened and polished sword, really signifying the terror. You know, you see that that. Uh, sharpened and polished sword, and it, it's terrifying, and so that's kind of the, the terror of judgment. And then the Babylonian sword, God just very clearly showing to Judah that uh, it would be the Babylonians that would bring His judgment upon them. That brings us then to chapter 22, and in the first part of chapter 22, He enumerates the sins of Israel. Now, in chapter 20, He focused primarily on their idolatry. The word abominations was used, but the abomination often refers to idolatry in the Old Testament. But now he deals with more of Judah's sin. Not just the idolatry, though that is included in chapter 22 as well, but uh, more sin of Israel. Judah, moreover, verse 20, chapter 22, verse 1, Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Now, son of man... Will you judge? Will you judge the bloody city? Yes, you shall show her all her abominations. So again, the word abominations is referring to idolatry, but beyond that as well. Verses 3 through 6, he emphasizes that uh, they were guilty of murder and, yes, idolatry. Verse 3, then say, thus says the Lord God, the city sheds blood in the midst of it that her time may come and make idols against herself to defile herself. You are become guilty in your blood that you have shed, 
and have defied yourself in your idols which you have made. And so verses 3 through 6 goes on down through verse 6 and he emphasizes their sin of idolatry, their sin of murder, the shedding of blood. And then verse 7, he deals with injustice and the dishonoring of parents. Remember one of the commandments, one of the Ten Commandments is you should honor your father and mother. God takes that seriously. And one of the sins that he brings up against Judah at this time is the dishonoring of parents. He begins in, in verse 7, And you have they set light by father and mother. Just stop there. That's the King James translation. They set light by father and mother. Really what it's saying is <clears throat> they treated as lightly father and mother or they despised father and mother. In other words, they did not honor their parents. And that's one of the sins that God holds against them. In the midst of you have they dealt by oppression with the sojourner. In you have they vexed the fatherless and the widow. So he speaks of injustice and oppression. They were treating the sojourner unjustly with oppression. They were seating the, uh, treating the fatherless and widow unjustly with oppression. So that's a sin that they bring against them. But let me just say a quick word about the sojourner here. Um, we're living in a very divided country as it relates to immigration. And I'm not going to get bogged down in this. Uh, certainly I'm one that believes we ought to be securing our border and just uh, opening up the border and letting anybody and everybody just walk through. That, that's, that's not right. And yet, because our government is not handling that, and this is how I look at it anyway, our government's not handling that situation right, it's easy for us to then look at all immigrants as illegal and bad, and we start looking down and despising all immigrants, and that's not right either. Through the Old Testament, God says a lot about the sojourner, in other words, the foreigner living in Israel, and they were to be treated right. They were to be treated fairly and justly, and, uh, and so we need to be very careful. Again, I realize that right now uh, things are very chaotic when it comes to immigration, and, uh, and we certainly all have opinions about that. But uh, in our opinion of what's going on on the spe specifically our southern border, let's not go too far the other way and just think that all immigrants should be despised and rejected and have nothing to do with them. That's not God-honoring either. So I just throw that out. That, that was free. Right? Doesn't charge, charge a thing on that. So uh, he speaks of injustice and dishonoring of parents in verse 7. Verse 8, he speaks of profanity. You have despised my holy things and profaned my Sabbaths. Um, back a few chapters ago, one of the great emphasis that God made against Judah was the profaning of the Sabbath. And he mentions that here again, the profaning of the Sabbath. The Sabbath day was to be holy. Again, one of the Ten Commands. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, to keep it separated unto God. Uh, it was to be different than the other six days of the week. But they begin to treat it like any other day. And they profaned it. The word profane means to treat that which is sacred as common. Well, the Sabbath day was to be sacred. That was to be, that was to be treated differently. That was to be set apart for God. But they begin to treat it as any other common day. And so he, he accuses them of profaning the, the Sabbath and, and all his holy things. The, uh, many of the, the Old Testament, much of the Old Testament law, um, 
was geared to emphasize the holiness of God. When you get to the, the tabernacle and the temple and the various furnishings and so forth, it, it all emphasized the holiness of God and, and washing at the, the, uh, at the various uh, furnishings in the temple um, all emphasized the holiness of God. But, but they begin to treat those holy things as, as common. And as they did, they lost the, the vision of the holiness of God. I think of Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah says, In the year that Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord high and lifted up. And the seraphim crying out, Holy, holy, holy. I think there's a significance there. In the year that Uzziah died, that's when I saw the holiness of God. I think Isaiah uh, kind of put a lot of hope in Uzziah rather than his hope in God. And he, he kind of got focused on Uzziah instead of the holiness of God. And then when Uzziah died, all at once he's now forced to look at the holiness of God. Well, Israel, because they were profaning the Sabbath and they're profaning the holy things, they lost the vision of the holiness of God. And that's what led them into the sins that are listed here. And so they treated as profane that which was sacred. In verse 9, we have, uh, again, murder and lying and idolatry, all three kind of uh, in the first part of verse 9. In you are men that carry tales to shed blood. Carry tales, that's lying, to shed blood. Through their lying, murder was taking place. Their lies led to murder and the shedding of blood. And in you they eat upon the mountains. Remember the, the high places, the mountains, is where they set up their idolatry and their idols. And they would go to the high places to worship their idols and their false gods. And, and some of those uh, high places and, and the worship of those false gods involved eating and feast. Often those feasts turned to much immorality. And so that's what he gets to in the last part of verse 9 and, and through verses 10 and 11 is, is the immorality, much of which was part of the worshiping of the false gods. So he goes from the idolatry in verse 9 to the, the immorality that followed that idolatry. And so he says in the last part of verse 9, in the midst of you they commit lewdness. In you have they uncovered their father's nakedness. In you have they humbled her that was set apart for pollution. And one has committed abominations with his neighbor's wife, and another has lewdly defiled his daughter-in-law, and another in you hath humbled his sister, his father's daughter. Just the, the immorality and the incest that was taking place, often in the name of their worship of their false gods and their idols. They were following the ways of the Canaanites. They were following the ways of the Assyrians. They were following the ways of the Babylonians. They just accepted that uh, false gods and idolatry. And then verse 12, he addresses the, the greed and the dishonest gain that was taking place. In you have they taken gifts to shed blood. You have taken interest and increase, and you have greedily gained of your neighbors by extortion, and has forgotten me, says the Lord God. Um, the dishonest gain and the, the greed that was displayed, God condemns them for that. So these uh, verses... Uh, uh, down through verse 12, just enumerates the, the sins of Israel, the sins of Judah. You know, as I read down through those verses, I felt like I was reading a current newspaper. 
every one of those sins are very, very prominent in our society and culture today. And it was for these sins that God was bringing judgment upon Israel and Judah. And again, I've emphasized this over and over again, the United States is not Israel. The United States is not Judah. And yet, it's still the same God that's in charge of the universe. It's still the same God that hates the same sins. And in just a few chapters, we get up to chapter 25, in chapters 25 through 32 of Ezekiel, God begins to pronounce judgment upon Gentile nations too because of their sin. So it's not just Israel and Judah that God brings judgment against because of their sin. It's also the Gentile nations. It talks about Tyre and Sidon and Ammon and Moab and Egypt and, and some others as we get up to chapters 25 through 32. Gentile nations. And so we need to understand that the United States is not going to escape God's judgment. I don't know when it's coming, but it is coming. And maybe it'll be after the rapture and during the tribute. I don't know. It could come before then. But judgment is coming because God hates sin and the sins that he enumerates here in Israel and Judah are taking place in our own country today and it's the same God. We're not Israel, but it's the same God. He hates sin. So verses 13 through 16, just to rehearses for us what God's going to do. Behold, therefore, I have smitten my hand at your dishonest gain which you have made, and at your blood which, you have been in, which has been in the midst of you. Can your heart endure, or can your hands be strong in the days that I shall deal with you? I, Lord, have spoken it, and I will do it. He says, you, you think you're going to be able to stand up against my judgment? Think you're strong enough to do that? And I will scatter you among the nations and disperse you in the countries and will consume your filthiness out of you. And you shall take your inheritance in yourself in the sight of the nations and you shall know that I am the Lord. That verse 16 is a little confusing. You shall take your inheritance in yourself in the sight of the Lord. It really is simply you will profane yourself in the sight of the Lord among the nations or you will despise yourself in the sight of the Lord among the nations, as he scatters them among the nations at some point, and we know that's coming in the tribulation period, that God will bring the nation of Israel back to himself. They will despise themselves and despise themselves because of their sin as they're among the nations, and they will return back to their God. As he says here, the whole purpose of bringing judgment is that they might know that I am the Lord. And that day's coming. And Israel will know that he is their God. He is Yahweh. And that's what the tribulation period is all about, to bring the nation of Israel back to himself. Do you have any questions up to that point? Comments? Let's come to verse 17. Verses 17 through 22. It gives another little um, illustration of, of judgment, and now it's the, uh, the furnace that is used to uh, refine silver. And that's the example that he uses as to what he's going to do with reference to Judah. And to uh, he, he's going to bring the heat of a furnace. He's going to bring judgment in order to refine them. But it has a little bit of a twist to it as we read. In verse 17, the word of the Lord came unto me saying, Son of man, the house of Israel is to me become dross. 
All they are bronze and tin and iron and lead in the midst of the furnace. They are even the dross of silver. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you are all become dross, behold, therefore, I will gather you into the midst of Jerusalem. As they gather silver and bronze and iron and lead and tin into the midst of the furnace to blow the fire upon it, to melt it, so will I gather you in my anger and in my fury, and I will leave you there and melt you. Yes, I will gather you and blow upon you in the fire of my wrath, and you shall be melted in the midst of it. As silver is melted in the midst of the furnace, so shall you be melted in the midst of it, and you shall know that I, the Lord, have poured out my fury upon you. In essence, he said, Jerusalem's the furnace. I'm going to bring you all to Jerusalem, and I'm going to turn up the heat. I'm going to bring my judgment, and I'm going to refine you as you would refine silver. But notice what he says. He says in verse 16, because you are all become dross. In other words, I'm going to refine you like silver, but when it's all done, there's no silver. It's all dross. It's all the tin and the iron. That's the dross of silver. And so in essence, he's saying that there will be no silver to refine, really. I'm going to refine you like you would silver, but it's all dross. In all of your sin, it's all dross. Now, we do know that uh, that's the example that he gives here. We do know that there has always been a remnant, always will be a remnant. But, but there in Jerusalem, as uh, he brings this, uh, this judgment upon the city, the city is completely destroyed. The walls are torn down. The temple is destroyed. And he's using the example of refining silver, but there's no silver to refine. It's all dross as he brings his judgment. And then verses 23 through the end of the chapter, he, he is really, he, he brings up the, the recipients of this judgment, he talks about the prophets, he talks about the priest, he talks about the princes, and then he just talks about the, the average person on the street. And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, say unto her, You are the land that is not cleansed, nor rained upon in the day of indignation. There is a conspiracy of her prophets in the midst of her. Like a roaring lion ravening the prey, they have devoured souls, they have taken the treasure and precious things, they have made her many widows in the midst of her. Notice down verse 28, he mentions the prophets again. And her prophets have dubbed them with untempered mortar, seeing vanity and divining lies unto them, saying, Thus says the Lord God, when the Lord has not spoken. So the recipients of this judgment is first the prophets. They, they have said, you know, thus says the Lord when God has not spoken. They, they have lied in their prophecy. They have used their prophecy for gain. They've, uh, uh, they've destroyed people through their lies and through their, their false prophecy. People have died because of those false prophecies. And so he's condemning the prophets for their lying and their false prophets, their false prophecy. And he, he says that they, uh, uh, they've devoured souls. In other words, uh, many have died because they put hope in what the false prophets were saying when what the false prophets were saying was a lie. He says that they've made widows in the midst of her. Uh, they've taken advantage of the widows with their false prophecy. It says there in verse 28, they, they have dubbed it with untempered mortar. They, they were saying, you know, everything's fine. No problem. God's not going to bring judgment. We're okay. When in reality, you know, that was the untempered mortar. In reality, it was a lie, and God was going to bring judgment and did bring judgment. Not only the prophets, but notice in verse 26, the priest. Her priests have violated my law and have profaned my holy things. 
That's what he said earlier on there in chapter 22, that they profane the holy things. They have made no difference between the holy and the profane, neither have they shown difference between the unclean and the clean, and have hidden their eyes from my Sabbaths, and I am profaned among them. So he accuses the priest of, again, treating the holy things as common, treating the Sabbath day as common, instead of setting those things apart for God. They were treating it just as common things. And because of what the priests were doing, again, the nation lost sight of the holiness of God. Verse 27, her princes in her midst are like wolves ravening the prey to shed blood and to destroy souls to get dishonest gain. The princes, the rulers, um, they were taking bribes. And by taking bribes, innocent people were dying. Innocent people were being killed. Verse 29, the people of the land have used oppression and exercised robbery and have vexed the poor and needy. Yes, they have oppressed the sojourner wrongfully. There's that sojourner again. But now he's just talking about the average person who uh, uh, was... uh, Vexing the poor and the needy, they were oppressing the sojourner, they, were, they exercised robbery, they used oppression, that was just the average person. And so he speaks of the, the prophets, the priests, the princes, and the average person. They were all going to be recipients of God's judgment. Verse 30, and I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land, that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Um, What's that remind you of? Somebody that would stand in the gap and put up a hedge to to keep God from from destroying. Pardon? Moses? God was ready to destroy uh, the nation of Israel, especially there in Exodus chapter 32 with the whole golden calf incident. And God was ready to destroy them. And we pointed that out before, but the, the interaction between God and Moses is, is quite interesting. God says to Moses, I'm going to destroy your people. And Moses said, don't destroy your people. <laughs> Neither one of them wanted to claim the people at that point. But Moses stood in the gap and God did not destroy them. And so he's looking for someone to stand in the gap. I think of Abraham. Um, God was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, and he stood in the gap. Now, God ended up destroying Sodom and Gomorrah, but Abraham tried to stand in that gap. That's really where we need to be. Again, as we think about our own nation, we we need to be standing in the gap and doing everything we can to to lead people back to God so that uh, we are not destroyed. We need to stand in that gap. We need to build that hedge. And again, like with Abraham, he ultimately wasn't successful, but he stood in the gap and he tried to do what he could. And we need to stand in the gap and do what we can as a witness and as a testimony for God. We need to stand in the gap. Yes, Lori. Yeah, and, and I think partly there, Ezekiel's not in the land. He's not in Jerusalem. And this is specifically talking about God's going to bring destruction to Jerusalem and, and Israel, uh, Ezekiel's already gone. Um, but the question comes up about Jeremiah. Jeremiah's still there. 
Um, and so we have, and of course, Daniel, he's already gone as well. But we do have Daniel, Ezekiel, and Jeremiah, um, who certainly were standing in the gap in that sense, but uh, um, still there was no repentance. They, they, you know, as we read here, Ezekiel's trying to call them to repentance and warning them of judgment, but they would not repent. Yes? Yeah, and, and very likely Jeremiah's already in prison, in the pit, uh, at this very moment. He's still in Jerusalem, but very likely has already been, uh, you know, again, he tried and, and he ended up in jail for it. Any other questions or comments? Concludes with verse 31. Therefore, have I poured out my indignation upon them, I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath. Their own way have I recompensed upon their heads, says the Lord God. So God brings judgment upon specifically Jerusalem as he has been addressing them through Ezekiel. We're going to have to stop there. I don't want to get into chapter 23 with only a few minutes because chapter 23 is quite a chapter. Um, in fact, I'm not going to read all of chapter 23. It's too embarrassing to read, quite frankly. God addresses uh, the, the spiritual uh, harlotry and prostitution that takes place both in Israel and in Judah, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And he uses a little parable of the two daughters representing a, um, the northern kingdom of Israel and Samaria and the southern kingdom of Judah and Jerusalem. And he gets very explicit uh, in, in his description. But the purpose of that is to just, you know, you, you read it and it's just like, this is disgusting. And if that's what you get when you read chapter 23, that's exactly what you're supposed to get. This is disgusting. The sin of Israel and the sin of Judah and, and their, their spiritual um, adultery and uh, the unholy alliances that they made with other nations against God's will, it was disgusting. And that's the whole point of chapter 23. Let's bow in prayer. Father, again, we thank you so much for the opportunity to come together tonight to bring our request to you in prayer, but also to study your word. And Father, we see your holiness. You hate sin. And we're so prone to take it lightly. We're so prone to just kind of overlook it. We're so prone to make excuses. Help us, Father, to, to not be like Israel and Judah and to profane that which is holy. Help us to, to see your holiness, to see how much you hate sin and and to hate sin in our own lives. And help us, Father, to stand in the gap, to be a witness and a testimony, to, to be that light and salt so that others would see that you are a holy God and you do indeed hate sin. And I pray that we'd be that witness and that testimony of your love. Though you hate sin, you provide it away for us to have victory over sin and over death. You allowed your son to take our punishment. You allowed your son to die in our place for our sin. Help us to share that gospel message, that good news to those around us. 
It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. For you who have joined us online tonight, thank you so much. May God bless you.